Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, from Continuum. A lot of companies, and startups especially, are obsessed with their intellectual property and protecting their secrets. It's presumed that if a competitor knew what you were up to or how you did things, your competitive advantage would evaporate and you'd lose all your money and your customers and everything just goes down in flames. Well, one of Continuum's neighbors in Boston's Innovation and Design Building has been taking a different approach. We're a few feet away from Autodesk, a global billion-dollar company that makes powerful software that helps people build really complicated things like trains and buildings. And on the ground floor is a collection of awesome robot arms and water jet cutters and other huge mechanical things, and everyone walking by cannot help but stare at this. Now, local companies, startups, and students are allowed to come in and use these tools, all of which are powered by Autodesk software, to try new things out. And that, in turn, helps Autodesk understand new things that their software could be doing. And other than some safety training, one of the few rules in the space is that the projects being done there should have no expectation of being confidential. Now, why take this approach? And how does letting people come in and use a water jet that can slice through titanium help your business? Well, we asked Rick Rundell, Autodesk's technology and innovation strategist, startup mentor, and senior director, to swing by and tell us a bit more about what they hope to accomplish. Rick left his charismatic megafauna behind for a few minutes to chat with Continuum's Lee Moreau, a principal here in service and experience design. Hey, Rick. Uh, great to see you again. Um, I just wanted to welcome you to our space. I know you've been here once, twice before, but to have a little broader conversation about uh, you as a neighbor. So we got here about seven months ago, and I think you've been here a few months. Um, be great if you could just introduce yourself, and then we'll talk about what you do at Autodesk and with the Build Space. All right. Well, Lee, it's this is uh, actually a lot of fun sitting down with you because you and I had been talking about our move to the innovation design building and each of us getting our companies kind of from the suburbs into Boston for uh, for a while before we actually pulled it off. So this is cool. you know it's kind of cool being here uh, talking to you. It's about like a therapy subject. session, basically. A yeah. little bit, yeah, like a little bit like a therapy session. Um, so. I'm a uh, technology and innovation strategist with Autodesk. I'm a senior director in the organization, and I run an innovation engagement program here in the Boston area focused on the building industry, architecture, engineering, and construction. Uh, I started the program uh, kind of informally about uh, four or five years ago uh, in an effort to uh, make Boston a more meaningful location for our company. Our headquarters are in San Francisco and we have offices all over the world. Uh, and it felt like we really were not taking advantage of the community here in Boston uh, the way that we could. We were, one reason is we were located out in the suburbs, but we weren't, uh, we weren't uh, really connected to the technology community the academic community, the innovation community, at least to the degree that the opportunities that Boston provided. So we started working with different organizations in town to uh, improve that engagement. Uh, and then over time, with that led to our decision to actually locate here in town. And we, uh, we moved here, uh, yeah, so a few, a few months before uh, Continuum arrived uh, in January, actually our I think yesterday was the anniversary of our showing up in the uh, at, at the building here, and it was a little bit of an unknown for us how our employees would uh, respond to that because it's you know to be honest it's a very it's a very different kind of uh, commute in the morning, um, but it's been 
it's been super positive. We've had uh, almost no attrition because of the commute, and I, I, it is being here has re-energized our employees uh, around uh, being, I think, part of a community. We were in a we were pretty isolated in our own building uh, out uh, where we used to be. So this has been this has been thrilling, and I hope hope it's been for you guys too. So for people who um, don't know what Autodesk is, what is Autodesk? So in practical terms, Autodesk is a two point something billion dollar company in terms of revenue with um, around 8,000 employees all over the world, uh, 70 different locations, and we build uh, software that people use to design and make things. So pretty much anyone who's designing and making things has is using our tools somewhere in their process. Um, architects, engineers, industrial designers, product designers, people who make uh, films, people who make games, anywhere that there's uh, sort of 3D content being created. Well, I definitely want to talk about the community implications, but first I'm curious about um, the build space itself. It's such a significant investment of resources and material and space. Um, probably this is one of the only locations you can move that, but talk about the investment of space in that build space and in those technologies for the company. Sure. Autodesk. Yep. So the build space is um, a 34,000 square foot industrial workshop focused on uh, digital fabrication and numerically controlled making uh, for the building industry uh, on two floors here in the, in the Innovation and Design Building. Uh, it opens directly onto the promenade. It's on the first floor. Uh, and uh, then we have an uh, extension of the space on the second floor uh, with uh, equipment and a studio for uh, uh, project teams and, and startups that we host there. So the reason that we built this out was really to, it's a strategic research function for the company. Uh, and it is focused on a disruption in our industry around how people expect to use the data that comes out of the 3D design tools that Autodesk creates. So when I got in this business, I mean, I'm an architect by background, um, there was only really one piece of equipment that our computer-aided design software was expected to operate, and that was a Hewlett-Packard pen plotter. So we were busy digitally fabricating ink on Mylar drawings with that data. Today, there are hundreds of different kinds of equipment that people expect their three-dimensional information out of their software to produce out in the physical world. Most people are familiar with 3D printing as an idea, and that's a, you know, one great example, but there's a lot of numerically controlled machinery that can produce physical things directly from digital information that's used in, in your industry, industrial design and product design, and is increasingly used in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry as well. So understanding how that works is critical to the evolution of our business. We're, this, is, this is how people are going to be using our software in the future, in some cases already using it today, and we need to figure that out. We talk at Autodesk about having been a design company and now being a design and making company. So if we're going to be making, if people are going to be using our tools to make things, we need places to try that out and to make things ourselves. And the build space is a place for us to do that in the AEC industry. So who's down there using th these uh, design and making capabilities? Who's, who's tinkering around right now? 
So this is a sort of a bold experiment in creating, uh, aggregating a corporate strategic research function using people from outside the company. So we have, uh, we, we don't have an in-house research group here focused on the building industry. And so what we do is make the space available to uh, research and project teams from colleges and universities and from architecture and engineering firms and construction firms and the building industry generally to try things out, to do their research. So we have teams in there that we're hosting from MIT. We have teams from uh, Harvard. We have re both research teams and classes being taught there and students trying things out. Uh, we have architecture and engineering firms who bring people in, a couple of people for uh, maybe two or three weeks at a time to use the equipment to do uh, some kind of research. We have a team from Pratt that's in there right now uh, doing uh, laser-cured resin uh, using a robot and a laser, curing sort of resin in a vat, a form of 3D printing and producing uh, some uh, pavilion that they're designing. It's a lot of... Um, it's uh, a very energetic space, and my job is to keep that space filled with people who are doing interesting and compelling work. So I hear some professionals, but I also hear a lot of researchers from academic institutions, student groups, and things like that. How do you think the build space will help motivate change within the profession of architecture, engineering, <clears throat> the design and construction professions? How are you going to... Uh, well, will you, and in what ways will you create change in those in those professions? Well, I, I, the um, the simple availability of a resource like this, which is um, not, I, I don't know anywhere else in the world where somebody in an architecture firm can show up, have a bench for a few weeks, and try something out. Mm -hmm. um, one of the one of the prominent architecture firms that we have that we were working with, who was proposing a project uh, uh, over a couple of months we helped them kind of shape the, the kind of project that they would want to do in this space uh, at one point they had five project proposals and they were all really interesting proposals about you know different ways of clouding a building and I, I complimented their their innovation lead on it's like this these are it's amazing that you guys are thinking like this about the future of construction uh, in the industry and his comment back to me was you know we wouldn't even be having this conversation in our company if it weren't for a resource like the build space where we could where we could do something like this and I, I, that's my favorite quote I like I love I, that's I love to hear that because that's exactly what we were hoping would happen well it's exciting for us that you're a neighbor because we like to see or we often think of our impact happening at the confluence of technology um, commerce, business, obviously, and culture. And it seems like you're a neighbor that we have that's trying to probe at all three of those things. Obviously, technology and business, but you're looking at the cultural implications and how that's going to create change. That's really exciting for us because we want to be associating with organizations that are doing that too. So um, it is a, there is a sort of culture change in the industry that's, that's happening and the build space is certainly part of that. But the other kind of culture aspect to this that I find pretty interesting is we're trying to build a culture specifically in and around the build space that um, celebrates uh, innovation and allows people to, to uh, fail in interesting ways is kind of a phrase that, that I've adopted. And uh, we have a, I've been collecting artifacts from teams who've come through the space uh, who often 
you know, teams try something out and they end up with this big built thing, you know, a bunch of wood or whatever they've created and they don't have anything to do with it. And uh, they're certainly not going to take it home with them. So we hang it up and we tell a story about it. And so we were developing this kind of gallery of interesting failures uh, as we, we walk people through the space, we can talk about you know what the different teams have learned. Frankly, it's a lot more interesting than talking about successes uh, in a way. So, the artifacts of failure. Yeah, effectively, right? <laughs> the art. Let's call it the artifacts of learning. Let's uh, so. But. So yeah. um, you, 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 I'm putting quotes around it. You talked about creating this innovation engagement program. Mm-hmm. Um, in the software industry, is this, you know, laddering way high? Is this something that other software companies are exploring in their kind of market segments? Uh, you, you are kind of specialized in a certain couple of areas, but mm-hmm. um, do you see this happening broadly within the software industry? Well, I see it happening broadly across businesses generally. So there's the there's this whole uh, theme of open innovation, and you know a, a lot of conversations about that. Uh, and uh, companies who are you know established companies who are trying to uh, avoid being disrupted, kind of out of business, are looking at ways of ad- adopting disruptive practices uh, or disruptive ideas internally before they kind of get disrupted. Externally, and different companies are experimenting with different ways of doing that. Uh, but one one thing that that companies do is they create an, an internal incubator um, of some kind, and that often involves bringing uh, teams from inside the company to a particular place where they're kind of allowed to uh, um, try different things out. Right. So I mean, there's examples uh, even in this neighborhood of companies that are doing that. I think that's an interesting approach. Uh, but I think it also assumes that all of the disruptive innovation that you're interested in is going to come out of your own employee population. And I, what I found is that a lot of those programs end up feeling more like an employee engagement program, more than a, a strategic kind of innovation program. Other companies are doing uh, what we started doing actually out in our suburb location, that is creating an external incubator in-house, right? So we, we, I had a startups and residence program out in Waltham. Uh, where we had some unused space and we brought in five startups. And uh, it was uh, a fascinating uh, a fascinating experiment with our culture in the building. You know, suddenly the lunchroom, you know, not only had people from Autodesk in it, but it had people who were, um, st- you know, starting companies and young graduates from Olin who were doing things and people who were experienced in the um, robotics industry. And it really changed the mix in the building. Um, that was inspired by uh, the other companies that had done similar things, right? So Andy Miller did the Innoloft over at Constant Contact, trying to bring you know in- innovation in the company. Um, David Chang was a great mentor in that uh, in that process, and he had done the Start Tank at PayPal. And many of many of these uh, efforts started when. Companies, small, smaller companies had been acquired and their founders were look, do, try, looking to do something to kind of keep that entrepreneurial energy in there uh, among their employees. And so, uh, so we joined the, in a, in a smaller version, we kind of joined that, that movement and uh, that really led to the, the very open nature of the build space that we have today, uh, bringing teams in from outside. So clearly an effort to bring the outside into the company as a way to motivate change and disruption for you how do you bring uh or push your organization out into the rest of the community i mean is it is it moving in both directions is that 
something that's important to you? Is that something you're tackling next? Interesting question. I don't know if we'll be tackling that next or not. We do a little bit of that. We have occasionally we'll um, uh, embed an employee in an academic setting or with a research team out in industry, but that's pretty pretty unusual. We'll do, we'll do that. You know, I, I can think of maybe two or three examples of where we've done that uh, over the time that I've been at uh, been at Autodesk. Uh, I think you know my next project is what I would like to see is not just have our startups and project teams kind of in the build space, but I'd actually like to see them seated in our upstairs offices with our software engineering teams. So we have, we're bringing software engineering teams and they're sitting in the studio in the build space kind of on a rotating basis. I think it would be pretty interesting to rotate some startups up and have them just sitting with our teams upstairs to turn, turn our entire facility kind of into a giant co-working space. And uh, we'll, we'll see how, we'll have a, a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross before that's going to happen, but I think that could be a, a very interesting model for the 20th century workspace. Well, you've made it public. 21st century workspace. You've made it public <laughs> now in this conversation, so that's going to be a motivator, no doubt. Yes, I've declared declared my intention. You've seen our Made Real Lab and had a chance to... Which is to, amazing, by the way. Thank you. And had a chance to look at some of our facilities. I'm wondering how companies like ours who have tried to make some of their own maker facilities can look at you in a complementary sense to try to build and expand their capabilities, but also learn from you. So in a sense, you're almost like a massive academic institution within (laughs) Boston for this new maker exploration. Uh, And that's why people from MIT and Harvard are coming to work with you. How can we all work together? How do we make this one much broader conversation to move things forward? Well, one thing that we're doing at Autodesk, the build space is not the only workshop, actually. Our sort of first workshop uh, is called Pier 9, and it's based in San Francisco. Uh, and that was built around um, a do-it-yourself team that we had acquired called Instructables uh, and has evolved into kind of a, a focus for the maker community and forward-thinking uh, work in manufacturing out there. Um, because, it's, because it's focused on the manufacturing and maker community, it's a little smaller than the build space. But they're also about three years ahead of us in terms of of their processes. Uh, And that team has been doing um, a lot of work in how to effectively get people up to speed on how to use a piece of equipment and keep them safe uh, as, as, uh, as, as quickly as possible and as meaningfully as possible. So we've been collaborating with them on training material. Uh, that I know uh, could be interesting to the community overall. I don't know what we're, what our plans for that are, but you know I would love to work with the uh, with the, with the sort of larger sh- workshop community on uh, how we might leverage that. So I think it's a great question how companies that are developing these in-house workshops can sort of collaborate together. And one of the great things about being here with you guys in the Innovation and Design Building is there's a bunch of companies that have um, these kind of resources. And the, you know, the bottom line is none of us have everything. And a lot of things that we do have are only used intermittently. So being able to collaborate between the different facilities on things that, that people need uh, I think is a, is, a, is a great opportunity. The build space, because it's focused on construction and building, is actually pretty big, and we have pretty big equipment, uh, and we're capable of, of handling you know, a fairly large 
um, pieces of stuff, which is not typical in most kind of you know prototyping labs. So one thing I know people have the people that I've talked to who are who look over our equipment sort of look at the water jet as maybe something that they would have an you know they might have a use for. The water jet's like one of the most useful pieces of equipment in the shop. So uh, I think we're the only water jet in the building, or probably in the neighborhood. So now. This is not not just a water jet. This is a five-axis. This is a five-axis water jet. Yeah, six-foot by ten-foot bed. It'll go through 22 inches of titanium, which would be really expensive, but it could do it. Uh, I think, really, it'll cut anything. It'll cut anything. I heard somebody has carved a turkey on a a similar device at some point. I I have not heard that, but I have heard uh, that the Cheesecake Factory uses a water jet. Uh, to cut their cheesecake. So let me tell you a little bit about how a water jet works, because otherwise that won't make sense. So water jet uh, cuts through material with a with a uh, a very focused pressurized stream of water traveling at four times the speed of sound. And in that introduced into that stream water is some garnet, a grit that's u- used to make sandpaper. And so that basically erodes its way through the material, um, but in a, it makes a very uh, fine cut. However, if you use it without the garnet, it's just a it's just a stream of water, and it's actually pretty effective at cutting things that otherwise might be goopy or hard to get through. So, that, hence its use for cheesecake. But water jet's a pretty cool piece of equipment. Literally using it for cheesecake. They literally use it for cheesecake. Okay. I mean, if you want to like, if you had to cut large volumes of cheesecake, well, how would you do that? Okay. Well, there's truly innovation <laughs> there. Uh, but that does get to some of the this notion of fun and, and playfulness. And mm-hmm. having spent a little bit of time down at the build space, you do see some people doing some slightly crazy looking stuff. I mean, describe yeah, some often. of the fun things that are happening down there with, without giving away anybody's secrets. Yeah. Way. One of the really fun projects that we had recently was there was a studio um, from Harvard, graduate school design of students who uh, had designed uh pieces using 3D design software and you know using that kind of software you can really pretty much design anything and then who were figuring out how they might actually make these things and they were trying trying some different methods uh, and eventually settled on a, a metal kind of a, a folded and tabbed metal uh, process they cut out their pieces on the water jet and then and then assembled them using pop rivets and uh, it 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 went uh, it was very challenging for these students to see like well what does it actually take to make one of these you know very organic kind of forms that you can describe in in software there was one one team that put in twelve hundred pop rivets by hand and there were only three of them so that's a lot of pop riveting <laughs> putting that putting something like that together. Uh, but the pieces were beautiful when they were done, but none of them were finished, you know, were beautiful in exactly the way that the, you know, the, they'd been described in the software. You know, they definitely had um, traces of how hard it was to, to put things together. So I, I loved that. That was a very fun uh, project to see. We have another uh, studio now that's doing uh, a, sort of a transparent uh, st- structure made out of these sort of tabbed tri-boomerang-shaped things that uh, they're iterating on to see if they can get them to interlock in interesting ways. And they seem to be sort of growing organically 
um, out of the floor as they as assemble these things. And you'll see, you can walk by in a couple of days, I think they'll have their final project there in the in the front of the space. I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with. Perhaps some of that will make the archive of, of the failures or maybe the, maybe not. Maybe I've already already asked them for some of the early, you know, versions that didn't work. So we'll put those up. Yeah. So what is when we're looking towards the future, um, you're down here in the in the seaport. Um, you're going to be here for a while because you made this massive investment of infrastructure and mobilization of your team. Oh, yeah, we're here to stay. What do you What are you thinking about long term? What, what's the, What's the play? Do you see? Do you have some visions? Well, I, I can tell you some of the next steps that we're taking. So first of all, um, you know the, the the build space is on two floors, and we're expanding now to the third floor. Uh, and what we did in the first phase was we really focused on the equipment and the and making a shop, and we don't. We have a lot of people who want to come by and, and visit and use it for meetings and hosting events there and things like that. And we don't really have that kind of capability in place. So we're going to make it a little bit more of an accommodating facility with some of the work we're putting on the, the third floor, which will be a collaboration space, uh, kind of sort of some work with design thinking that our education team does um, and, and things like that. And we're just starting that, that project now. So we'll, we'll be moving into that uh, a year from now. So looking forward to seeing... Uh, seeing how that develops, and then I think we'll be even more of a magnet facility for the, you know, kind of Autodesk uh, community. Uh, we're also looking to expand our the number of people that are working here, uh, and sort of consolidate our um, and, and grow the presence in the building here. And we'll have to see how that works out over time. Like in our business, as anybody else's business, that has to do with the economics and how the you know how the how business goes. So we'll see how that develops. But that would be kind of uh, our goal. And then I think our our real opportunity is to increase the focus of our software engineering teams on the on the on the making on fabrication and getting uh, more uh, of our. Uh, more of our teams familiar with what those processes feel like and what we're expecting that our uh, customers and our industries will do in the future. And so con continuing the engagement between our software engineering and product management teams and the, what goes on in the build space is another big project. So if somebody has a really great idea, they want to, they don't know how to make it, they don't have the facility, but they've got a great vision, how do they connect with Autodesk or with your team to propose an engagement or move in and start using tools like what is the process for that um, so you go to autodesk.com forward slash build hyphen space and you uh, take a look at you know can I get a sense of what the facility is about and you can see I think we'll have a list of equipment up there very shortly and then you uh, click on a button that says something like propose a project or uh, that you know make a proposal and there's a short form that you fill out where you describe what you want to do what your idea is and that gets you into pipe into a pipeline with my team and we um, take a look at those every week we sit down and we look at the ones that have come in and usually there's uh, you know th any three to five in any typical week and then we follow up with the teams uh, either way sometimes we get pretty unrealistic proposals and so those could be interesting conversations sometimes we get people who think, mistakenly think that we're going to do the work. So that is we're not really what we do. We'll bring a team in, we'll teach them how to use the equipment, and then turn them loose to, to do their work. So, um, But once we get everybody's expectations aligned, we've had um, a lot of terrific projects come in that way. But that seems like a relatively low barrier to entry for people and organizations. 
well, we may not. We, they may submit a proposal and we may say we don't have either that it's not appropriate for the space or we don't have the equipment to support it or we're over overbooked for that time. But uh, yeah, it's not hard to get a hold of us. We're pretty we're pretty accessible. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time, Rick. I think this is a really great conversation, and I look forward to having uh, Roxy's Grilled Cheese with you later this <laughs> week. So that's one of the few many amenities that we have here at the IDB that we take advantage of. So thanks again for coming by. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. From our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Many thanks to Rick and Lee for their great conversation today. Numerous thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Multiple thanks to Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.